Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure. Take the adventure with us. With us. With us. With us. Welcome back, everyone, to the 34 Cersei Salon. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and I'm here with Dr. Gary Stickle. Hi, Gary. Hi. So we're going to pick up with the lost palace of Odysseus. Uh, we last talked about what the historical importance was, the, the importance in terms of culture. And in this episode, we're going to talk about how Gary is going to do it and what he's going to do to find this lost palace. Um, but first, Gary, as always, uh, in our new segments here, we'd like to talk about what the big idea. In case you didn't hear that, folks, it's what's the big idea. Gary, what's the big idea about the lost palace and how you're looking for it? Well, the big idea is... Was there really a palace of Odysseus, or was it just a, a myth, a fiction that Homer created? I happen to think it does exist, and uh, that's why I've been actively searching for it. Okay, great. And you wanted to kind of remind us of the background of why the <laughs> palace is important. Yeah. Um, well, just as the city of Troy is the main set piece for the Iliad, Homer's epic poem of the Trojan War. The Palace of Odysseus is the main set piece for the Odyssey. And, um, and, and, and as I said last time, because uh, all the classical Greeks had to read the Iliad and the Odyssey, and uh, the educated Romans the same after they conquered Greece, uh, <clears throat> I maintain that the Palace of Odysseus was the most famous well-known palace of ancient times. And uh, so here's some of the uh, special aspects of it. Uh, <clears throat> because it was really a uh, uh, a place, like I said last time, full of superl superlatives. It was the home of the smartest and craftiest king, who was Odysseus, who participated in, a, in the Trojan War. Uh, and uh, so... Uh, you know, there's special things associated with the palace. The palace is where his queen and ever-faithful wife, Penelope, who I call the uh, paragon of women, she lovingly waited for Odysseus' return for 20 years, 10 years for the Trojan War and 10 years for the Odysseus' voyage home. And uh, because of her, it's, a, it's the place of the most famous loom of history the loom on which Penelope wove a shroud for Odysseus' father, Laertes. Mm -hmm. And she did that as a ruse to hold off the horde of 108 suitors who had taken over the palace with each one vying to marry her and thus to, you know, try to gain Odysseus' kingdom and his beautiful wife. And uh, her ruse was that she told the suitors that she would marry one of them after she had woven the shroud. But in the night, she'd sneak back into the weaving room and unravel what she had woven during the day so she could delay the, its completion, you know, she hoped, until Odysseus would return. And uh, the palace is also where the most famous dog of the classical world, Argos, 
waited for his beloved master to return. And this is a very touching scene in the Odyssey because when Odysseus finally sees his dear hound Argos, who waited 20 years until he got, his master got back home, the dog died on the spot and it brought Odysseus to tears. A very moving part of the Odyssey, I think. It's interesting. It seems like for the Odyssey, faithfulness is a really important concept. Yes. You know, the, his wife waiting for him when he gets there, his dog waiting for him, his home to return to after this 10 years of war and 10 years of wandering. I also think it's uh, interesting you point out that the palace is to Troy uh, as a set piece. You know, we were looking to see if Troy existed, if that was a real place in the Iliad, and that was what Schliemann looked for. You're like Schliemann looking for the palace, the setting for the Odyssey. I think that's a really interesting point. I don't think anyone has really said before. You're looking for what the main scene, the main set piece, as you call it, of the Odyssey, and that's yes. the Lost Palace. <clears throat> yes. And Schliemann and I have some things in common. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and a friend pointed out that maybe it's no mistake, it's kind of a karma or something, but <clears throat> he was of German origin and my surname, Stickle, is of German origin. Uh -huh. uh, he came to California and made his fortune uh, such that he could go search for the city of Troy. I, I'm from California, but I've, I'm a poor archaeologist. <laughs> I've never made a fortune. Uh, well, there's still time. Yeah, well, thank you. But um, uh, hopefully we'll finance it another way. But getting back to the significance of the palace, um, the palace is also where the most famous bow of, of history, aside from Robin Hood's bow, was kept in, in uh, Odysseus' absence. And it's called the Great Bow of Odysseus. And Penelope uses that bow in the so-called Contest of the Bow. And in it, she tells the suitors, who, by the way, they discovered that she's unraveling the, you know, the, the, the weaving she's been doing. So they tell her she can't do that anymore. So then she comes up with something else to hopefully delay them. And she tells them that if any suitor can string the great bow of Odysseus and shoot an arrow through 12 axes that she's going to set up in the throne room, that uh, she will marry that person. How long did she go uh, weaving and unweaving? Uh, well, the, the, the suitors come to the palace three years before Odysseus returns home, three being a sacred number, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, and there, there's actually, a, a, I think, a neat song by, you know, the pop star Pink. Right, yeah. And it's, yeah, and it's called Who Knew. I've actually played the song after I've done my play for Children on the Odyssey because, you know, as, as people are walking out, because the song sounds like Penelope. She's pining for her lover that hasn't returned and, she has suitors after her, and actually part of the chorus of the song is, in three years and some months if you're not home, etc., which I, I just find uncanny because it matches uh, the Odyssey. We'll have to find out whether she's a Homeric scholar herself or someone she knows loves the Odyssey. Who knows? Maybe yeah, she's who knows, the Odyssey. But it, it's, a, it's, a, right? it's a good song. I like it. Yeah. So uh, anyhow, uh, and so by the way, Penelope uh, has her son Telemachus set up the 12 axes. Apparently, 
I, I think the axes had very long handles because they're depicted in uh, Bronze Age artwork. And they're double-bladed axes. And then I think at the top was possibly a ring that would facilitate hanging it on pegs, you know, in the uh, in the armory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, and, you know, that's how I envision it. Other people have envisioned it different ways when they've illustrated that scene. But again, the number 12 comes up, which is a sacred number, which I think is interesting. Right. Um, and, uh, and Gary has a theory of sacred numbers we will discuss in another format, another time, but it ties into his interpretation and analysis of the Odyssey. Yeah, and then the palace is um, the scene of the, the most famous um, bedroom, I, I think, in, in literature and uh, ancient times as well. Um, because um, when Odysseus finally meets up with the, uh, Penelope, um, and she just can't believe it's Odysseus. For some reason, she doesn't recognize him. I think by this time, the, the, the goddess Athena, who had transformed him <clears throat> into an old man, an old beggar man, to get him safely inside the palace, I think she transformed him back by this time, but I'm not certain. But anyhow, uh, you know, he Penelope tells him that she will make a, uh, uh, you know, move the bed from her, bedroom, the royal bedroom, I call it the royal nuptial bedroom, uh, out into like the porch so he can sleep on it. And, and, uh, and but he's telling her he's a dishes. She doesn't believe him, except he said, and he says, uh, you, know, you know, my dear Penelope, you know that to move the bed's an impossible task. For you know, I made our, our bedstead out of a live olive tree. To move it is impossible. In other words, the bed can't be moved because he built the master bedroom around a, a live, not a live, but a, an olive tree trunk. Mm-hmm. So when he tells her that, she knows it's Odysseus because she knows only Odysseus would know that secret of their bed. So then she believes him and hugs him and kisses him, and, and they have their beautiful reunion. So uh, the bed is the most famous marital bed of history. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, and then finally the, the palace becomes the place of the most famous reunion of a husband and wife in history. So say more about that. Why do you say it's the most famous in history? Um, I can't think of another bedroom to rival it. I mean, it's because, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, two nations love the Odyssey along with the Iliad. And every educated person in those nations, Greece and Rome, uh, read the Odyssey and they knew about that famous bed with the bedstead made out of the trunk of an olive tree. It is interesting. You don't normally find great love stories with an already married couple, a husband and wife. So that is interesting. Often you will see the people who are lovers who are falling in love and about to be married. Uh, right. There, of course, is Romeo and Juliet. I guess Juliet is from her balcony uh, where she speaks to Romeo. Romeo speaks to her. So that's maybe something similar and famous, but not with a husband and wife. So and it's also uh, I think what's nice is that it is a it's a happy ending. 
in a sense, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they, they come together. He gets, yeah, it's finally a happy ending. After, his wife, right. Yeah. A- after all the trials and tribulations he has in this 10-year-long voyage home, when he meets up with these gods and monsters and goddesses, and finally, finally, he has his reunion with his loving wife. It's a very touching scene, I think. So all that takes place in the Lost Palace. Can you tell us how you're going to find it, what you're going to do to find it? Yeah, because either the palace is a romantic creation of Homer or was a real place. And like I said, I think it's the latter. I think just as uh, the city of Troy was a real place that Schliemann found or brought to the attention of the world, I believe the palace of Odysseus is a real place. So I've been searching for it. And I, last time I mentioned that uh, Schliemann actually tried to search for it on the island they call Ithaca today, as well as his uh, protege, Wilhelm Dorpfeld, and, and many other uh, archaeologists on the island they call Ithaca today. And they've never found the palace because this is a line from Indiana Jones. They're digging in the wrong place. Okay. Um, right. And so I've been focusing on this, as I mentioned last time, on this uh, <clears throat> uh, peninsula of this large island called Kefalonia. But I believe that the peninsula was a separate island 3,000 years ago, uh, as uh, this British researcher Robert Biddlestone published in 2005 in a book called Odysseus Unbound. And he made the case for uh, Paliki, the peninsula, to be a separate island. So I went there, investigated, and uh, Biddlestone said he had found the palace. Actually, you know, just flat out states that in his book on a hilltop. And so I, I went there years ago and with my little team, and we surveyed that hilltop. Not only is there not a palace, there's not a single artifact there. You know, So I don't know what he was thinking. Oh. And, uh, and Biddlestone's and not an archaeologist. He was just a researcher. There could be um, no mistake that, that he listed the wrong location or anything of that sort. No, because he has a, a map of it on his book, you know, and highlights it and all that sort of thing. Uh, and I know, you know, I know exactly where it is. And uh, no, it's, there's, there's no uh, palace there. There's no artifacts. Contrary, I found a place with a massive site that has stone walls starting to, you know, uh, emerge out of the ground running on for hundreds of meters. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever it is, it's a massive site. I think it's a Bronze Age site. And uh, <clears throat> I, uh, but I had to, in order to get permission to do any research on it at all, I had to convince the local Eforit, and that's, that's the title, the archaeologist of the Ionian Islands, whose headquarters is on the little town of Argostoli on the main island of Kefalonia across the Bay of Argostoli from uh, Paliki, where I'm working. So I, I finally got him to come over, and he checked out what I was talking about. And I showed, I showed him one uh, area of the site where there's three courses of big stones, and these stones, some of them are squared off and they're big. I mean, some of them are the size of my couch. Um, and when he saw that three courses... He took out his camera to photograph it, and I knew that when he started photographing, I had him, you know. And right. So then he gave me permission to do the first remote sensing survey of the site. <clears throat> and uh, so I was working with a um, geophysicist from 
University of Patra, which is a, <clears throat> a little city on the Peloponnesus to the southeast. So, Gary, tell us what a remote sensing survey is first. <clears throat> remote sensing survey is uh, is with uh, geophysical instruments that will scan uh, an area on the Earth, and and it sends back signals. Those signals can be interpreted, uh, and they can actually detect buried walls and structures and buildings and so on. Mm-hmm. And so the technique I use is called ground penetrating radar. So it actually sends a radar signal to the earth, which is, and it's reflected back to the instrument. And if there's a wall or something, then there's a differential signal sent to the instrument. And that's how you can determine if something is there. Now, is this the kind of thing that we've seen where you can actually see an image of what's underneath the ground, or is this just more informational? It says, okay, there is. Well, there is a uh, visual image, uh, but it's, you know, it would be like lines on a map kind of analogy. Mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't it wouldn't show a, a wall in detail or anything like that. You know, uh, but it it shows we call them targets or anomalies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you have linear ones like a, a line, and then especially if ones that are rectilinear, form squares or rectangles, then you you know you have a building. You know that that's not nat, mm. nat, you know that's not from nature. It's not natural. So we we did a scan of it years ago, and some of the results were interesting, but uh, you know, not really determinative. So what I want to do now, and uh, I know you're interested in doing a documentary film about it, which I'm very excited about, <clears throat> is we want to go there with three systems that can complement each other. Mm-hmm. Two of them. Are first, used- how long ago did? How long ago did you first check? So what's the now time frame since you actually went there? Oh, man, it's it's been about eight years. It's been a while. So not too long. I mean, are you worried about anything in terms of building in the area? If no. Just, you know, no, this okay, is so, so remote. It's, it's just a, oh, okay. it's, it's, a, it's on a long hilltop. And uh, occasionally shepherds go up there with sheep and stuff like that. All right. In fact, in fact, one of them gave me his crook, his shepherd's crook. I thought that was really nice of him. I didn't ask for it. He just wanted to give it to me. Um, oh, because you're, you're guiding your lost lambs back to Homer's palace. Yeah, there you go. That's, uh, that's, it's, 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 that's say, a good analogy and everything. Yeah. So anyhow, the, the two systems I used before is the ground penetrating radar. And then I want to use a magnetometer, which records the magnetic field of the Earth. And... Um, and it searches for different targets. You can use a magnetometer to find a fire hearth, for example, a fire pit, because when people make a fire pit and they create a fire, it aligns the iron particles in the soil in a certain way that makes an anomaly, which is detectable by the magnetometer. Mm-hmm. And what's really uh, important here is that all the Bronze Age palaces of Greece basically had the same, I mean, the throne rooms had the same uh, architecture. And basically what it is, it's a squarish rectangle. And in the middle of the the, the uh, squarish rectangle, there are four columns that support the roof. And between the four columns is a huge 
hearth or fireplace, and these hearths are like 10, 12 feet in diameter. Mm -hmm. So in other words, they're not a small hearth. It's really a, a large hearth. I mean, I've never seen such large hearths anywhere. Um, and so all these Bronze Age palaces of Greece, uh, you know, like at uh, Mycenae and Argos and Tiryns, um, all have the same uh, architecture, you know. So that's what I'm searching for. So the magnetometer uh, could very well pick up a, a large round, what we call target, that might be, hopefully would be, that central hearth. And then we know we have the throne room. Okay. So, and then the, another technique uh, I'd like to use is one I haven't used before. It's called LIDAR. And uh, it's a... Uh, it's a well, laser. We've seen, we've seen this a lot recently, right? That's what they used with yes. the Mayan pyramids that they've uncovered in the jungles to yes. kind of reveal the whole city underneath the foliage. Yes, because it can penetrate right through the jungle canopy down in Central America. I think it was Guatemala. And mm -hmm. they found a lost Mayan city complete with pyramids, with avenues, with buildings, courtyards. Amazing. Yeah, it's just, and uh, none of the Mayan archaeologists knew about this city. It's completely new, but it was found by the LIDAR. Well, my site is uh, covered with not a jungle canopy, but there is uh, lots of bushes there. And every damn bush has thorns in it, which I don't like and everything. Um, so instead of having to cut them all down to search with other techniques, uh, we can run the LIDAR over it and see if it detects uh, you know, certain shapes of uh, the buried walls and so on that I'm looking for. Right. Now, even if I have a palace, how do I know that it's the palace of Odysseus? Because that's two separate things. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said before, if we find that big... It could, just, it could just be Fred's palace, right? It could be just some... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, okay. And so, um, so th this is how I can distinguish it because... I ran across uh, 200 references in the Odyssey to the palace. And uh, most of them are just generic, like beautiful palace or great palace or, you know, things like that. But some of them are specific. And there's like uh, a few major features that are unique to the palace. So I'll run through those. Uh, on the, you enter the palace through a, an outer gate. And you enter what Homer called the outer courtyard. And in this outer courtyard was a round building. He called it a tholos. T-H in English, it's T-H-O-L-O-S, tholos. And he mentions at least one column associated with the tholos, but usually the tholos, uh, or plural in Greek, tholoi, have columns going all around them. The most famous one is at Delphi, the sanctuary of Apollo. You know, in Greece. I've, I've, yeah, I've seen a picture of that. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it uh, has, A lot of things we talk about in this podcast, uh, we're going to try to find a way to be able to get you some of the visuals. Of the, yeah, it'd be really, right now. it would so be really nice to have that. But, but anyhow. That temple, that temple is astonishing looking. People really should see it. Yes, it has 20 columns on the one there. But uh, mine, I just reduced to six small columns. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and I had to determine the size of it. And here's this is bizarre, but how would I know the size of it? Well, in the Odyssey, Odysseus 
kills the 108 suitors that had taken over his palace and were plotting to kill his son Telemachus and trying to, you know, seduce his wife and all that. Um, and then he finds out, get this, another sacred number of 12, that there are 12 of the servant girls that refused to follow the directions of Penelope. And she, <clears throat> they, they quote, according to Homer, quote, hoard themselves to the suitors and did the suitors beating, uh, you know, bidding and uh, slept with them and everything and refused to follow the directions of, of their queen. Well, in Bronze Age Greece, that is a capital offense. And so what Odysseus does is he forces them to clean up all the blood and gore from the suitors and get the bodies out of the palace and all that sort of thing. And then he executes them by hanging all 12 of them from nooses in a circle around the tholos. Wow. Now, just for the listener, we talked in the last episode about the complexity of Odysseus, how he, as a character was capable of great sensitivity, great sympathy, great love and devotion, but yet at the same time was capable capable of such cruel acts and thoughtlessness. So we see in this behavior something that to the modern eye, at least certainly would be considered incredibly brutal. I, yes. you know, understanding that we are looking at a different time frame. However, I think across this span of time the ocean of time we can still look at this as something oh yeah i mean i i don't agree absolutely brutal yeah yeah i you know by modern sensibility it's it's brutal but one has to understand in bronze age greece if you disobey your king and queen it's a capital offense uh and especially since they slept with the suitors Mm -hmm. by doing so they dishonored the house of odysseus this is a very patriarchal, again, this is a very patriarchal yeah. structure. You know, again, patriarchy's police female sexuality very Yeah, so so the dis, so. dishonor of the house of Odysseus is inexcusable and punishable by death. So if we find if we find that Tholos in an outer courtyard, uh, that would be a major indicator because to my knowledge, uh, if all the Bronze Age palaces, like I, I didn't mention uh, Pylos or Pylos, of old King Nestor, which is the closest palace to where I'm searching for the palace. It's on the Peloponnesus, uh, southwest of uh, Olympia, mm-hmm. uh, on the coast. And uh, all the palaces, none of them have a Tholos. So if we find a Tholos, that's going to be a major indicator. Ah, very interesting. Yeah, that would be, it's a singular distinction. And then what? what's the second uh Feature. Well, the second feature is, and uh, I created a hypothetical floor plan for all this, by the way, so I know what I'm looking for. Uh, you know, the actual floor plan is going to be different from my hypothetical one, but I, at least my hypothetical one gives me something to look for, you know, something, a target, if you will. So the second thing is what I call the royal nuptial bedroom. And as I mentioned before, the, the royal bed of uh, Odysseus and Penelope uh, Odysseus made it on the what they call the bowl, B-O-L-E, or the trunk of a olive tree. And so apparently it was a really big olive tree, so he planes one side of it flat to serve as the bedstead, if you will, of the bed. And then he built the uh, 
bedroom around it. In fact, he built a whole palace around that, according to Homer. So in other words, that, that olive tree, which, by the way, is sacred to the goddess Athena, mm-hmm. uh, it served as a focal point for the palace. So can we find that uh, bed, that olive tree bowl bedstead? No, but get this. To my knowledge, all these Bronze Age palaces were burnt down during the so-called, uh, you know, uh, destruction period around shortly after 1200 BC. Um, this is uh, this is a pretty famous period, right? In which there was throughout yeah. the ancient world, civilizations were undone around they the were. same time. They were. They don't know why. It's it's a big uh, question in uh, history and archaeology. So anyhow, can I find the remains of that? Yes, I can. Because if the palace burnt down, the olive tree would burn down and it would leave its charred remains behind. So there was there be ash and charcoal from the tree in the ground. And and ash and charcoal is virtually indestructible unless unless the soil's acidic. And I don't think the soil there, I may be wrong, I don't think it's acidic. I think it's basic. So it should, should bode well for uh, preserving that if, you know, if it's there. So if we find so a room, that, if we find a room that looks, you know, sort of like it could be a bedroom and we find remains of olive because the olive wood from uh, the charcoal fragments can be identified. If we find uh, the burned bowl of an olive tree that's planed on one side, that's going to be another major indicator of the palace. So those are your two main indicators. That's what you're No, it's not for. the only, but there's two more. Okay, go ahead. Okay, another one is, um, this is, I mean, Homer mentions that in the palace, there's a milling room where they're grinding grain, you know, for the, you know, for, for the food production for the palace. And in it, he mentions, again, the sacred number 12. He says there's 12, uh, milling places. So what's interesting in Bronze Age Greek archaeology, they had these stone uh, millstones, which are about you know two and a half feet long and foot and a half to two feet wide, and then they had a hand stone that they would rub on top to grind the grain, you know, mm-hmm. the wheat and barley, whatever. Uh, right. So if we find a a milling room that has 12 millstones in it, uh, that'd be another major indicator, okay? Uh, and then the final one is the throne room. Now, I mentioned before that it has features, it would have features similar to all the other Bronze Age palaces with the large central hearth with the four columns around it. And by the way, uh, in, in the ones that they found, the remains of a throne, the throne is not at the opposite end of the entrance. It's always on the right-hand side, midway along the long wall. And that's interesting because Homer mentions that the throne in uh, Odysseus' throne was on the right, as he put it, on the right. So that would match. Mm-hmm. But how would we know it's Odysseus' throne room? Well, because Homer mentions uh, more than one entrance all the other Bronze Age throne rooms, there's only one entrance and exit, a main door, if you will. Homer mentions four, four of them in the uh, 
in the Odyssey. One is the side entrance uh, where Eumaeus, who's a loyal servant of Odysseus, go, you know, during, during the sequence where Odysseus is attacking the suitors after he strings the bow, uh, this Eumaeus goes and shuts, quote, a side door to keep the suitors from running out that door. Mm-hmm. And then Homer mentions an Ashwood entrance, which I believe is probably at the opposite end from the main entrance, which he says was a stone uh, threshold, <clears throat> quote, thrown, stone threshold, the main entrance. He mentions the Nashwood entrance, which I think is on the opposite side. And then he mentions a so-called postern door, which I view as way at the other end of the throne room from the entrance and to the side. And he mentions a slight stairway that goes up to uh, a long hallway, which the suitors mm-hmm. use to go into. Uh, one of the suitors is able to escape that way, and he goes into the armory which must have been nearby. And he collects uh, swords and shields and spears to defend the suitors against Odysseus. And he runs back into the throne room with him. So in other words, Homer, there's evidence that Homer mentions four different uh, doorways in the throne room. If we find a throne room with more than one, it's going to be a good indicator that we have the palace. Okay. So these four are your framework for being able to say that there is strong indication that this, if you find them, this is yeah. Odysseus Palace. Yeah. Can you just as we uh, as we come towards the end of this segment, can you tell the listener typically what, how does an archaeologist plan out something like this? Is this the typical way, or is each, or, or is it just varied because there are different kinds of things an archaeologist would look for. What's the process an archaeologist goes through when he when he or she decides, okay, I'm going to excavate for X. What are the steps that uh, typically an archaeologist will take? Um, and that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it here. Um, and the other searches for the palace, and there's been many, uh, none of them had what I call a suitable research design. A research design is your plan of research. How are you going to go about your field work? Why you're doing your field work? What hypotheses you're testing? How are you going to test the hypotheses? What are the what's called the test expectations? What do you expect to find to verify your hypothesis? I just gave you the four of them. Those are four test expectations in my hypothesis. If you have the palace of dishes, then you should find a solos. If you have the palace of dishes, then you might find the you know the uh, the trunk of the uh, squared off uh, olive tree and a bedroom-like structure. If it's the Palace of Dishes, you might find 12 millstones in the milling room. If it's the Palace of Dishes, you might find uh, m- multiple doorways in, in the throne room. So in other words, I have a research plan and I created a uh, hypothetical floor plan that we will use in the field. So my, my objective then is to see if we can identify the best places to dig because it's a huge site to maximize our chance of finding the tholos, to find the bedroom and find the throne room and so on. Uh, that's why I want to use the three geophysical systems to corroborate each other, to maximize our chance of what we call ground truthing, proving whether it is indeed the palace or not. So my plan is specific. I have specific things I'm looking for. 
I will probably fail, but what if I didn't? What if I uh, came up with all that evidence? If if uh, if we do come up with uh, that, ev that confirmatory evidence, I'll publish a book either way, and what I'll say is the Palace of Odysseus with a question mark, and it'll be up to the reader to decide if we have sufficient evidence to to validate that it is the Palace of Odysseus. And so, you know, what we uh, what I want to do is use state-of-the-art approach with using the three geophysical systems coupled with state-of-the-art field work. And uh, I want you involved in that. And then th this is, to me, one of the great uh, searches for a legendary palace. It's one of the great archaeological projects of our time. It's got to be. Absolutely. I think that uh, there's a good chance, given how much time thought and gut instinct you've had with this, you, you wouldn't necessarily fail. We could find this palace. You know, for the listener, there's a few journeys that we're going to take. Uh, and one of them is this lost palace. Another one is the lost city of Themyscira, the Amazon homeland. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of mysteries out there still to be solved. So Gary, to, to close out, what's one more thing you'd like the listener to do or take away from this discussion about the lost palace? that uh, it's still an open question whether there is a lost palace of Odysseus and I'm doing my best to find it. Uh, if I failed and, you know, I've given it the old proverbial college try, okay? <laughs> so, and what I'd like to end with is a, a poem uh, on Ithaca by a, a wonderful Greek poet, Constantinos Kavafis. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole poem, just a few excerpts, you know. Mm -hmm. As you set on your journey to Ithaca, hope that the road is a long one, full of adventure, full of discovery. Lacedragonians, Cyclops, angry Poseidon, don't be afraid of them. You'll never find such of these on your path. And then uh, the way he ends it, always keep Ithaca in your mind. Arriving there is what you're destined for. But don't hurry the journey at all. Better it lasts for many years. So you're old by the time you reach the island. Wealthy with all you've gained on the way. Not expecting Ithaca to make you rich. Ithaca gave you the marvelous journey. Without her, you wouldn't have set out. She has nothing more to give you now. And if you find her poor, Ithaca wouldn't have deceived you. Wise as you would have become, full of experience, you would have understood by then what these Ithacas mean. That's wonderful. Yeah, thank That's you. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to give though my one more thing for people, and that is one to consider the many mysteries that are still out there from our past. There are mysteries of our future, which are, we have to explore, which is the cosmos, going to other planets. But there are also mysteries of our past, which we should think about. So if you take one more thing from this, one more thing I'd like you to take away is to look back at our mysteries, what can we solve? And in looking back, also think about looking forward to the mysteries that await us outside in the cosmos. So with that, I'd like to thank Dr. Gary Stickle. As always, thank you, Gary. Thank you, it's been great. This has been the 34 Circe Salon, The Lost Palace of Odysseus. Thank you for listening. <laughs>